Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Jeff Fiegel's with you. We appreciate you being with us. Jeff, how was your Easter weekend, my friend? <laughs> good. I mean, business as usual, right? Everybody's still at home, which is good. Um, Did you guys little, cook? What'd you cook? What'd you got? Yeah, a little bit more. Uh, last night, yesterday, we had a little bit of um, steak and mashed potatoes, just kind of a, a good old steakhouse dinner. Uh, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't able to do the the um what do you call them the lamb this year so uh no big deal but we had a good time and it's just uh you know we're biding our time like everybody else but how about you good yeah. stuff yeah it was good obviously clara doesn't know what was going you know what's going on so we tried we didn't like hype up easter for her yeah because we know we were going to under deliver <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. so it, it was kind of a normal day. We got her like a little Easter basket. We put yes. in like uh, some bubbles and, you know, little things like that yeah. that uh, she would get a kick out of. All right, folks, we got a very um, big show, very full show coming your way today. Matt Waldman, who you heard from last year with us, he does his prospectus every year on the skill position guys in the draft. He'll join us in just a couple of minutes. And then about halfway through the show, we'll be joined by Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. He's their draft guy there. We could talk about his recent rankings, his recent mock drafts, and what he thinks might happen. And I want to remind everybody, too, that you can submit questions for Big Blue Kickoff Live. You know, we can't take your questions on the phone live, unfortunately. But the good thing is that we can take them online. So if you're on Twitter, you can send them in like you usually do to any of our usernames or to hashtag GiantsChat. We'll get to your questions that way. And we can also take them at Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. Again, it's Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions, so make sure you get those questions in. All right, let's go to our first guest. We welcome in Matt Waldman. We heard from him last year on the show. He puts out his prospectus every year on the skill position players in the draft. Matt, thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. Why don't you tell the folks exactly where they can find your work? Sure, you can find me at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Um, I have a publication, like you said, called the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. You can find it there. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Waldman, as well as on YouTube, the RSP Film Room, where I have over 500 videos um, and dealing with draft prospects from over the years, including a lot of them from this year. And mm -hmm. and and by the way, just to give the fans an idea, um, I got that last year and the printers over at the Giants we can print these big fancy spiral notebooks that Jeff's aware of they had they had to do mm -hmm. it in half because it was so long they literally did not have the binding that was capable of <laughs> binding it into one book no joke I'm not even kidding around so it is as complete of an analysis of the skill position players as you can find and Matt we're happy to hear you and your family are doing well yep. uh, let, let's start here are you in general agreement with kind of the the chalky analysis of this wide receiver class with kind of Judy, Lamb, and Ruggs kind of hanging out in the top three, Jefferson, you know, maybe a little bit lower down in a four, and then kind of a big mess with the next group of guys? I would say that everyone you mentioned is pretty much in my top five. The guy that stands out that isn't is Denzel Mims, who I have um, pretty high up on my board. Now, see, uh, Jeff, I want to follow up really quick because I think Mims is, is a really interesting guy. So since you mentioned dude. him, I'm going to bring him up uh, because I wasn't – he was one of the guys I didn't watch before I, I went out to Mobile for the Senior Bowl, and I was impressed as hell, and I came back and I watched him. And when I watched him on tape, I'm like, yeah, he didn't run a full route tree, but he can get in and out of his breaks for a big guy a lot better than guys that size. Yeah, he absolutely can do that. And one of the things that's really awesome about his game is – his ability to release against press coverage. He's gradually developed since his sophomore year 
know, into his senior year as a guy who really has developed a nice repertoire of moves with his hands and feet. He knows how to set up defenders as the game goes along. He's the type of guy that during run plays or passing plays that are not going to go to him, he'll do what Drew Lieberman, a former um, Rutgers wide receiver coach, would call stealing a release, which is the ability to just kind of set up a man, gauge what he's going to do, and then use that intel against him later on in the game. And he catches, you know, he has some issues dropping the ball a little bit, but he can really go up and win the football in some difficult situations. And those drop issues are really focus-related. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of top receivers have some focus-related issues. Uh, Matt, what I wanted to ask you, you know, there's been a lot of speculation that this could be one of the best ever, if you want to say that, from the wide receiver class. Um, looking back, going back in time, you look at that 2004, there were seven first-round draft picks. Are you seeing the possibility of having that this year match that number or less or more? Yeah, I mean, I think it could get that high. I think we could see ourselves in a situation where somewhere between five to seven of these guys go to, you know, go in the first round. Now, you hear a lot of talk about, well, if they're savvy, they're going to wait because they can get, you know, other talent, you know, better talent elsewhere um, in terms of, you know, what they need and then be able to, you know, still find relevant, startable players in the second and third round. So they're. So I would say I don't think it's going to beat that 2004 class, but mm-hmm. I think it'll come within one or two players of matching it. Matt, how do you separate the top three guys, Lamb yeah. from Judy and Ruggs, and what in your mind separates them? I think what separates them, again, is it's all going to come down to team fit because wide receiver has the greatest variation of draft grades among scouts and teams of any position because of the fact that it's really three positions in one, and it's and it depends on what the teams need. Okay. So for me, I'm grading along a much broader spectrum of what the wide receiver position is and what who can really fill those roles compared to maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers or the New York Giants who may have a specific need and a specific type within that slot or X or, y or Z role. So for me, E.D. Lamb kind of fits the broadest spectrum right now of player because He's, an un, he's even a slightly underrated route runner. Very good route runner, can be very patient on option routes, but also someone that can work over the middle. He has toughness to be able to take the cat, um, take contact after the catch, and he's also a, a big-time ball winner in terms of you know the acrobatic skill and, and excellent after the catch. He may not be as fast as, obviously, as a guy like Ruggs or Mims, but he's fast enough that he can win on play action or double move, as well as against Maybe not the top corners in the league, but he may be able to beat some of the, you know, some of the starting corners straight up without any aid of that. But he's going to function probably as a flanker as well as a slot receiver. So that gives you the versatility as well as the many ways that he can win with his athletic ability and technical skill. He gets the slightest edge. Whereas you look at a Judy and you look at Judy and you think, you know, very technically solid. He can win at the catch point. It, you don't see a lot of that at Alabama because they have so many good receivers that Tagovailoa is throwing to wide open guys. But there are exposures that are enough that, as my buddy Mark Schofield at my site who writes there would say, you can put the pen down when you see some of those plays and know that you've seen enough in terms of what he does at the point of contact and in the traffic. He needs a longer runway to get up to speed. He doesn't have great acceleration, but he makes up for it with the movement, the dynamic movement, the change direction. And when he gets that top gear, he can win deep. But it means he's going to need more play action 
He's a little less versatile than, say, Lamb is. Um, and then with Ruggs, you know, I love the, the top speed. He can make those tough plays. He reminds me of a guy that you guys know well in the New York area. Reminds me of Santana Moss and what Santana Moss could have been probably in more wide-open sets. So I think he's got the toughness, the leaping ability, the skill after the catch. He just needs to focus on his hands a little bit better. He has some technical issues where he doesn't work um, to really catch the ball with the correct hand position based on the trajectory of the ball. And it means he can fight the ball in tighter situations um, where he shouldn't have to, and it can lead to some drops that are technically related that he should be able to work on a little bit more um, with a jugs machine with a little bit more time. And if he works on that, he can shore that up in his game. But all those guys, to me, I think they're going to be able to start right away and learn on the go and produce. Matt, I got a question for you. So John had mentioned that the Giants particularly may may be in the hunt for, for a wide receiver, maybe in that third round. The Giants have a 99th pick. Um, to me, I think they could still get some good quality out of this wide receiver draft at that position. If you could give me two names of somebody that maybe that rises up to that number, that we're really maybe not kind of counting on a guy, that he's kind of maybe one of your outliers here, and then maybe a guy that could drop down to that 99 that the Giants might just get lucky getting. Can you see the comparison of any of those two? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think a guy who could drop because people are worried about injuries and 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 if the if it's a surface level thing about combine, which I don't think the NFL is too surface level about the combine when it comes to seeing a guy like Lavisca Chanel, who was considered a first round pick earlier in the year, but then the turf toe surgery he had, then he had sh- shoulder surgery, and then after running a four five eight forty with a hernia, that's poor hernia, mm-hmm. he still he he had surgery after that weekend. To me. If you run a four five eight with a sports hernia, I can I would imagine that the guys who play through sports hernias were probably running four six four six five while they had that injury. So to me, Chenault with his ability to go up and win the ball, his physicality, he's a better route runner than people realize at this stage of the game, um, and and I think that he could be a real find for a team. Brian Edwards has kind of a reputation for um, you know some drops, but he's the leading receiver in South Carolina history. He makes some incredible catches. He's physical. He has enough speed and skill in the open field to win, and he's a powerful player. Mm-hmm. He's another one that could be a nice matchup to give you kind of a Javon Walker type of presence when Walker was at the top of his game. Um, and then, you know, when you're talking about guys that, you know, may, well, we can talk about some guys later if we're looking at that, but maybe if the Giants were to trade up, a guy like Mims could be a guy that if they wanted to trade up, from a later round and see and try and go for a guy that they feel like can be you know an instant hit for them, you know maybe Mims is that guy that they might go up and try and get. You know, sure. Matt, I want to follow up here on because I thought those are those are two guys that I actually wanted to ask you about specifically. It's funny you brought them up in the context of uh, Jeff's question, Chenault and Edwards. I think to a certain extent. Those guys did not run full route trees. I know Edwards was limited by the quarterback situation. There were a lot of those kind of you know quick games, just get him the ball at the line of scrimmage, let him run. Are those guys, given how condensed and odd this offseason program is going to be, that maybe in their first year, their gimmick players isn't the right word, but you're going to have to have some specific packages for them in year number one uh, to get them up to speed in the NFL offense, running the full route tree and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I think they will, but I don't think it's going to be as much of a downer as maybe fans may realize because, 
what you're really looking for when you're scouting players is not whether they run the full route tree, but whether or not they have the mechanics to right. their game to develop in that regard. And Edwards can drop his weight. He has some of the good um, different types of step movements to be able to execute some of the different drops. He'd run on stop routes or 15-yard route, routes of 15 yards or more. LaVisca Chanel has some really nice um, speed turns, ability to drop his weight. He's very sudden. Um, so when you look at what they do, they both can run the, the perimeter route that you're looking for. You may see that their sophistication with certain zone reads and certain zone routes may be something that they have to get up to speed with in terms of being on the same page with a quarterback in terms of coverage. But that's kind of a given for a lot of young receivers, too. Um, I have two guys. Like I'm a big believer in that you, you kind of want to have at least one really big receiver. Um, you know, six three, six four kind of guy. Uh, there's two guys in this draft. I know Chase Claypool is a guy that really his stock has gone up since the draft. Uh, we we've been talking to a lot of the people that cover these schools and through our draft prospect um, interviews. And and Chase, he's a guy that that I like um, as far as his size and things that he's done. Um, the other guy that I, I that I like and I know that John does too is Michael Pittman from USC. Talk to me a little Love bit him. about those two guys. Yeah. I- this is why this class is so deep because you can go anywhere between six to twelve deep, and those guys can be on that edge of the board side yeah. of the board and still like them. Um, Claypool, listen, he grew on me because at first I'd see him make a lot of drops, especially over the middle. Like seems like once a game, every other game, he's dropping a pass. That the technique's good, the focus seems to be there, and he still it still bounces off his mitts. But at the same time, you see him make some of the more difficult plays. Um, you see, you know, the athletic ability is there. He's really developing as a guy at the line of scrimmage with the footwork and hand usage to, to read what defenders are trying to do against him in tight man coverage and to be able to beat them. And, you know, there's question about is he a tight end, is he a wide receiver? Mm-hmm. You know, that, what that answer really is is whatever the coaches name him to be and then whatever, and then that means what his contract's going to be. But he's going to be a guy who's probably going to play a lot in the middle get some matchups to the outside, but be more of a move tight end, big wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I like his game, and I think that there's certainly nice development there for him. He's kind of an Evan Ingram type if you, when you really kind of look at it. Um, Michael Pittman, to me, is more of that free-access wide receiver, the kind of guy that when you have against off-coverage or zone coverage, he's going to kill you in, on some of the deeper routes because of his size. He has some nice skills to be able to run some of those shorter routes, too, like the, the fin route, the little in-breaking route. Um, and he's not much after the catch. But, you know, getting downfield, hard to really be able to move him off of his line. Um, and he's someone that I think that gives you kind of that Mike Williams of the Chargers sure. type of vibe. And then maybe total upside would be another Charger from the past, Vincent Jackson, if he really, like, just blows it out of the box there. But I, I think he's going to make a good split end in the NFL. Do you see him as a better prospect than T. Higgins, somebody, I think, whose stock, as much as it does in reality, I think this is kind of just fans catching up to where NFL front offices are. But Higgins, I know a lot of people are not happy with his testing, understandable. Uh, You watch him on tape, though, he is a back-shoulder catch, contested catch master. And despite, you know, the the shorter arms, the lack of a a vertical jump, I still think he might be the best contested catch catcher 
in this class. So your thought on Higgins, where he might, how much he might actually drop here, Matt, and, and just whether or not his unique body control and, and things like that can overcome maybe his lack of athletic testing. Oh, I think it absolutely can, and I think that he's another contestant for maybe the Giants to get a little bit later. Um, he's just, you know, he's physical, he's linear, and I love the emotional resilience as a possession plus receiver. And what I mean by the emotional resilience is you can watch him against Ohio State where he has a, a tough start and then he comes back and finishes strong. He doesn't, he doesn't let the trash talk, his mistakes, whatever, really affect him to the point that he goes into a shell. He's a guy that understands that the game's you know, 60 minutes long and he has the opportunity to, to make impact plays and continue to play at a high level of focus. And he's great in the middle of the field. Um, he's very good at, in terms of not getting distracted by defensive backs with physical play. The guy he reminds me of is a former Giant. And I know that this former Giant wasn't as big as T. Higgins, but he's the type of guy that won a lot on play action, won a lot down the field, and made a lot of physical catches. Well, let me guess, run. let me guess, let me guess. Hakeem Nix. You got it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yep. That's yeah. good. That's a good one, actually. Yeah. 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 I'm good. Okay, I got a couple more then for you, Matt, uh, before we say goodbye. Um, one guy that I don't see the way a lot of other people do. They, a lot of people have Brandon Ayuk as a first-round pick. I get it. He can you know, accelerate 0-40 to 40 really, really quick. But just a lot of the nuances of playing wide receiver, I think uh, maybe project's the wrong word, but I think there's a lot you need to develop there. Your thoughts? I totally agree, and I was just on Ross Tucker this morning giving my overrated and underrated players, and Brandon Ayuk's an overrated player in my book. Doesn't mean he can't be a good starter in the league eventually, but he's a, he's a guy who wins a lot on double moves. He's very good in terms of the long game when it comes to those types of routes against off-man or zone coverage, and he's a very skilled kick returner who has vision and the ability to work in tight traffic as well as in the open field. But ask him to be to win against press coverage, and that's where he struggles. He just has issues being able to use his hands um, off the line of scrimmage and develop a plan at this point. Um, and then he has some issues with his hands in terms of how he frames them to the ball in terms of the trajectory, whether he should use his hands with his fingertips high or whether he should have his um, fingertips low and palms up when it comes to those that area pretty much from the navel to the chest where the numbers are. And that's where he kind of gets a little messed up. And when players are, you know, he's facing someone in tight coverage and he's had trouble being able to get off the line cleanly, um, all of those things can kind of conflate to an, a situation where he drops the ball. Now, he's very good in the clutch. He, he actually gets it right in the clutch, which is kind of hopeful for him. But I do think for him to produce right away, he's going to have to be in a situation where they have two to three good receivers, whether it's two receivers or a receiver and a tight end, for him to benefit from, you know, kind of packaged plays like the guys you mentioned in terms of Chanel, um, you know, early on. So he, he might be able to help a team, but I don't think he's an instant first-round kind of plug him in and let him do his job. Jalen Rager, I've never seen a guy get so <laughs> killed for running a mid-4-4, 40-yard dash at the combine. Like, that's slow all of a sudden. You go back and watch his tape, he runs past everybody. Yeah, I don't. I'm not even worried about that remotely. It's ridiculous. One of my favorite, yeah, one of my favorite, two of my favorite receivers. Uh, you, you know, one of them is Quintez Cephas, who ran a four-seven-three, but then ran a four-five-six in his pro day. And Jeffrey Okuda said he was the best um, receiver he's faced um, 
you know, in his college career. Go to the other Ohio State corner when asked separately. So, Rieger, to me, you know, you look at him, dynamic in the open field, really good in terms of making small pressure cuts in tight traffic and never really losing speed. I mean, that's a tough skill to have. And he's someone who goes up and wins the ball. He plays through getting hurt. You know, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. And, and he seems to play like an NFL player who, who plays while hurt and still produces well. And, and so I see him as a guy who can probably give you, you know, flanker and slot looks, but maybe even play a little split end. Kind of reminds me of Brandon Cooks, but with a little more skill in terms of at the catch point where he, he can deal with defenders coming at him and seeing them in the periphery um, and still make the catch, whereas Cooks can make catches in tight traffic, but usually it's when the defender's hitting him in the back, not when he can see the defender flash across his eyes. Um, so he's kind of a mix to me of a faster Randall Cobb and uh, maybe a slightly slower Brandon Cooks with a little more physicality. Two more quick wide receiver questions, then I'll let Jeff ask the final question on, on, on just get an overview on the tight end class. Um, K.J. Hamler, he's a slot guy at 5'9", 178, but he's a vertical slot guy. Is, is he basically, you know, Tyreek Hill generation two here? Is, is, is he kind of the next guy down the, the line who's that smaller guy but wants to win vertically? It could very well be that. You know, um, I think the difference with, with Tyreek Hill is that Tyreek Hill's more of an aspirational Steve Smith, meaning he's like built like a running back, has the contact balance of a mm. running back, has that kind of skill to be able to work through physical play that I think K.J. Hamler is capable of, dealing with physical play, but not necessarily being physical and winning, um, you, you know, matchups that way. But he's very good at being able to cut off defenders downfield and have that late last-second burst. I kind of thought Marquise Brown, but then I heard a comparison after I did my publication that I kind of like, and it's kind of more Tyler Lockett-like in terms of that ability to win downfield, go up okay. and get the ball, and, and that skill after the catch. I like him. I think he'll have a place. For an, for an offense, and I think that he can be a big play production threat, even if he's someone that has certain limited um, skill sets in terms of what you're looking for. All right, last one on the wide receivers, and I'll let Jeff ask you on the tight ends real quick. Uh, just in this next group of guys, you know, the Tyler Johnsons, the Donovan People Joneses, the Devin DuVernays, Van Jefferson, KJ Hill, Antonio Gandy Golden, kind of that group, but James Prochet, anyone I'm missing in there, anyone you think from that group, Matt? that is being really underrated by the folks out there? And anyone you think that's being very overrated by the folks out there? Yeah. I mean, now, you, now you're talking about the guys you mentioned or just people who I think are in that group. I, would, I just mentioned a bunch, but you, you can give me anybody you want. Okay. I, I keep mentioning this guy, but I, just, I feel like I'm his advocate. I'm going to talk about him. Quintez Cephas out of Wisconsin. This is a cast iron strong guy. 23 reps on the bench press, 38 and a half vertical, four, five, six at his pro day. You know, I told you what Jeff Okuda, Ohio State, said about him. This guy tracks the ball better than anybody in this class. I mean, they can, he can be tracking it over his left shoulder and the ball arrives over his right shoulder, and he can, he can do that on the run and not a problem. Directly over his head, not a problem. Getting smacked by a corner while he's catching the ball, not a problem. Have an offensive, you know, have an um, outside linebacker basically nail him in the side while he catches the ball over the middle. He just shrugs that guy off and leaves him on the ground. I mean, this is this guy to me might be like the Anquan Bolden 2.0 of this class. 
Um, I think he's going to really surprise people with how good he is. He's fantastic at the top of his stem in terms of the ability to, to use his hands and just get quick separation on curls and comebacks, um, a little quick in, in cuts and out cuts. Very good player. Um, I, I think that he's going to be underrated. Another guy that I'll, I'll give you another guy that's quickly underrated and then a guy that's overrated. Jalen, Jalen, uh, excuse me, Jawan Jennings out of Tennessee. He, he has some hands issues in terms of his hands are a little too wide apart at times and he drops some passes. But this guy might be the best blocker of the wide receivers in the class. And he was only 208 when he played. He was a former quarterback prospect. Um, he got moved as a freshman. But he breaks more tackles than any receiver I see in this class. Played at Tennessee, um, so he played in the SEC. Great first step. can make the first man miss. I thought he was impressive at the Senior Bowl, even though he didn't get great separation. I think he can be a good slot player. And then a guy that, you know, I think Donovan Peoples-Jones has some things that he needs to prove. He and James Prochet. Like, Prochet, to me, I love the fact that he has that A game to win the ball, but I think his athletic ability is not a game. I, I think it's, it's more um, reserve level. Um, I think that the team would really have to mold a scheme to him, and I don't see why they would do that in terms of his, in terms of his skill set. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, you know, I love his return ability. I love his ability to go up and win the football, um, but he has to prove that, it's, that it wasn't just his quarterback and, and, the, and the offensive system that was more of a running system at Michigan, you know, there's some things with his routes that I think he needs to get a little bit better at, um, and I need to see whether or not he has the acceleration that we're looking for for him to really be um, an every-down receiver. Well, listen, I tell you, Matt, as impressive as the wide receiver class is this year, the tight end class is not as impressive. <laughs> I mean, when you look at this class, um, typically, you know, every year you got a couple guys in there the first round, maybe high second round that everybody gets excited about. But when you're looking at the tight ends in 2020, not much to write home about. I guess the only thing I could say is that if from the class, that the people that are there, we got a couple Dayton, a, you know, a guy coming from Dayton. Adam Trotman is a guy from Dayton. That's not a big school. And then Florida Atlantic, Harrison Bryant. Talk to me about those two guys. Cole Komet is a guy that we've talked about when we were doing our Notre Dame uh, prospects. And, and just overall, your, your, your um, idea about the tight ends this year. Sure. I think this is more of a potential class than it is a reality class. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah. Two to three years from now, we may see two to three guys that we go, okay, Harrison mm-hmm. Bryant's my top-ranked tight end. Um, mainly for, you know, I lean more towards the receiving end than the blocking end. So I really love his yards after the catch ability, ability to win in the middle of the field as a route runner. I think he works open well when plays break down. And his blocking, I think, is good enough to be an early, you know, be an H-back early on, kind of a Hunter Henry type of player. Um, Whereas Troutman, I really like. I think he has the best upside in this class to be an all-around stud. But, again, he's a small school guy, unproven. Mm -hmm. You know, when you can – when the team, when when the division's triple teaming him, now he's able to beat triple teams, which is kind of fascinating to watch. Sure. Um, because he uses his hands and feet so well, and he does go up and win the ball, and he's and he's got that that athletic ability. I mean, a three a six point seven eight three cone drill that shows up on the field too. Um, you know, very quick change of direction. Kind of reminds me of Dawson Knox, the Bills um, rookie from last year. Um, you know, so those are those are guys. I like Devin Afiafi from um, UCLA. I think he could be a surprisingly good player. Um, and I think overall in this class, you know, there's not a lot of guys that you look at and say every down tight end. Certainly, Komet probably projects them 
most, but he has some work to do in mm-hmm. terms of overextending, leverage, um, getting beaten to the punch, having his head down too often as a blocker. And I just wonder if he can make those tight coverage plays, those contested plays that you want from an, from like your your primary receiver type of tight end. I think he's very good on pinpoint plays and wide open throws. Um, so I think he can be good, but I just don't know if he can be great. Hey, uh, ask me, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's last name. I, and John would tell you, I put your name. So, but you're going to help me here. Um, it's Albert Okwa Gambunam. Yeah, <laughs> Okwa Okay, so when I'm looking at measurables here, I'm looking at some on the internet. This guy right here is impressive. Now, I, I wonder why they have him as a third or fourth round pick. There's obviously some flaws in his game, but he is six foot five, two hundred fifty eight. He runs a four four nine, has ten and quarter inch hands with almost an eighty inch swing or uh, uh, wing span. What's the deal with this guy? Why, why is he a uh, third or fourth rounder? They're saying. I, I think they were surprised by the speed because they didn't see a lot of fluidity in and out of breaks, but mm-hmm. I think he has better route skills than and characterized. He also wow. played in the offense. Um, I think he has as much upside as any tight end in this class. And, and, and you know, my buddy Russ Landy, who I do a podcast with, who's a CFL scout, former um, Browns and, and Rams scout, you know, we, we've talked about him. He said he was really impressed with Oklahoma's, um blocking and his ability to really get after it. And so I think that he's a guy that kind of could have the career that people hoped Austin Cesarian Jenkins would have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has that kind of upside. Okay, good. All right, Matt, final one for me. Um, just kind of do for me what you did at the end of that wide receiver segment for the running backs and the quarterbacks. I need to do a lot of work on them, guys that either you think are being slept on or are being a little bit overrated. Sure. Um you know, guy that I think is being slept on is um, Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. He's a one-cut downhill runner with excellent speed and excellent change of direction um, and a good burst, too. And he's someone that can win the ball in the air as a receiver, very fluid, um, played in an offense where you often had two, three tight ends and dense boxes. He, he kind of has a Terrell Davis vibe to me, especially at 212, where it looks like he can add another um, five to ten pounds of muscle. Um, a guy who I think maybe you know a little bit overrated is deandre swift i saw him as a top five back um but i think that his game is is more about not he can play in between the tackles but he's kind of a mix of d'angelo williams and damian williams kind of a committee lead with some feature upside in a passing down offense um but that guy you know that's something that you know he's going to need a little bit of work with as a blocker and a route runner very good pass catcher very good at adjusting but, um, you know, as a good route runner, he's got to work on that so that he doesn't have to do as much freelancing to get open. Um, I think a guy that's being kind of slept on, we may know about two years from now, is kind of a, a project. I'm just about to release a video on him at my site. Is BYU's Tyson Williams, 6 feet, 220 pounds, who only played four games at BYU after transferring from South Carolina. Um, and he looked great against Utah, Washington, um, USC, and um, Tennessee, and but then he tore an ACL, and so he should be fully recovered um, sometime this summer, and I think he's going to get a shot to, to surprise some people. The quarterback position, listen, I'm not a Jordan Love fan. I just don't believe it. I, I get why people like him, because they see all the elements physically and throwing-wise of a Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, um, Deshaun Watson type of player who can extend plays and make some off-platform looks with their athletic ability. But um, to me, the NFL, if they're going to draft him in the first 
Jackson and Deshaun Watson had special characteristics in the college game that are hard to teach and that they are thinking that these guys can just be plugged in and coached mm-hmm. up and, and, and schemed up, and they're, they're not giving enough credit to those three NFL stars. And I look at Jordan Love's game, and I think he needs some work. I think he, his decision-making, how he reads the field, how he gets to invest in plays, he may have some spectacular moments, but he, they're bookended by a lot of moments that I don't see first, second-round talent. And an underrated guy? Jake Fromm. I mean, you know, listen, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I worked at the University of Georgia. I'm not a Georgia fan, okay? Most people don't think, don't believe that, but, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm kind of agnostic about college football, the job to, to study these guys. Jake Fromm, to me, though, everyone talks about his arm as being a noodle arm, but, you know, I'm going to give credit to J.T. O'Sullivan, the former um, quarterback who does his quarterback schools, because I charted his game, and I saw a number of throws where I had some nice, accuracy numbers for his opposite field throws but I also and I also noticed it seemed like he had decent velocity but um, it, the ball seemed to be late and I couldn't quite piece why that was then I, I decided let me watch somebody who I, who I trust and watch their their tape and I, and I watched J.K. O'Sullivan's quarterback school on YouTube and he's talking about how maybe the offensive coordinator James Coley who's recently been fired by Georgia you know was implementing a lot of five-step drops on routes that normally take three-step drops or fewer and the ball's, of course, going to be late at that moment, you know. Huh. And then you think about a guy like Chris Sims, who, who hosted him on Roto World and talked about him and said, I was surprised at how strong your arm was because you had a reputation that wasn't the case. And Fromm is, you know, he's not going to have Jacob Eason's arm or, you know, but he, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, I think he's close to that. And he's been an all-arm, upper-body kind of thrower who's admitted that and said he's got to work. On not being a baseball thrower in terms of you know being the third baseman shortstop he was and and develop you know a little bit more in the lower body which is an easier thing to fix so you generate that velocity with his ability to throw from a lot of off platform kind of positions within the you know ten, you know line of scrimmage to 15 yards his pocket presence is strong not a great athlete but very coordinated smart player I think he's going to turn out to be um, a starter one day and a pretty good one. Matt, awesome stuff, my friend. Before we yes. say goodbye, just tell us one more time where people can find your work and your excellent publication. Yeah, the Rookie Scouting Portfolio is available at mattwalpinrfp.com. You can find videos that give you a tour. 10% goes to a really great cause. Actually, a percentage now. I'm kind of changed a little bit, but it's a percentage at the end of the year goes to Darkness to Light, an organization designed to prevent sexual abuse of children as well as um, how to address that. And unfortunately, it does happen so that communities can make sure that they are protecting the victim. Um, it's a great cause. I've been donating, it, donating that since 2012, um, thanks to my readers. And, again, you can take the tour at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Matt, great stuff, my friend. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you down the road. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. All right, Jeff, as I get uh, Chris Trapasso on the line here, why don't you just give me your reaction to, to some of the stuff that Matt talked about at the wide receiver and running back positions. And well, tight I think, end. Yeah, I think that, you know, he talks a lot about what everybody already knows and in the fact that, you know, where these guys are at and how strong this position is this year. And I think that, you know, it just goes about um, how you evaluate these guys. And I think the big thing that I take away from what Matt said about the top guys is that, and I believe it's so, is it which one of those guys will fit in the system? I think all of them are, are worthy of going above one another. 
I just it's a matter of which team it needs that type of caliber of a player. Is it a guy that wants, you know, you need a fast receiver? Then you go out and get um, rugs. If you want somebody that's a little bit taller, you know what I'm saying, John? So it's, it's just a matter of the system that they put in. Uh, the tight end position, listen, I, I feel like that's just like he hit the nail on the head. These are guys that are made to develop in two, three years down the road. You're like, wow, this guy was a good, a good prospect that we got, and look what we developed him into. But nothing just jumps off the page for me this year about the tight end class. And then, of course, the, the – um, you know, I don't know. Uh, you, you kind of look at the quarterback. It's again, you know, which teams need that type of quarterbacks? Is it the the strong arm guy? Is it the smart guy? Is it the guy, a system guy? Um, we're going to find out sooner or later, and I'm, yeah. I'm really excited to have our next guest. Yeah, we are, and it's uh, and we're going to, by the way, get Jeff's take on the Super Bowl 42 replay at the end oh, of yeah. this interview, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But for now, let's bring in Chris Trapasso. First time he's been on the show with us. He is CBSSports.com draft guru. Chris, you got John Schmelk and Jeff Fiegel's on the phone here in different parts of New Jersey, uh, properly isolated from one another. How are you dealing with all this stuff? It's going pretty good. I mean, it's certainly unprecedented times, but my job really hasn't changed. I've been evaluating draft prospects all the way up uh, mm -hmm. until today. I actually just sent in my final big board that will come out tomorrow at CBSSports.com. But having the family home has been, you know, a, a unforeseen uh, luxury of this coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah, I so, agree with so you. Chris, let's start here. You, you said you just sent in your final big board. Uh, give us a little bit of a tease here. What are some of the surprises that you think we're going to look at your big board and say, oh, that's a little bit different than maybe we've seen from some of the other people out there? Yeah, I have Jeremy Chin, the safety slash linebacker from, from Southern Illinois, um, inside my top 25. I think wow. his athleticism, his length, he's six foot three, 220 pounds. I think he can cover very well, and he's insanely explosive, not just a, a workout warrior. Um, I got some of his film from Southern Illinois and was completely blown away. I don't think he has to be this in-the-box linebacker type that you don't want in coverage. I think he can run with tight ends. Um, Isaiah Simmons is kind of the prototype for that kind of positionless player in back seven, but I think Jeremy Chin is not that far behind him in terms of how multi-dimensional he is as a defender. Hmm. All right. Well, listen, I – I, I, we appreciate you coming on the show, and of course, we always appreciate all the work you guys do to put in uh, for the draft every single year. Because God only knows, it's a lot of work. Um, you know, one thing that I, I want the Giants to go for an offensive lineman this year, and with their first pick in that number four position, um, Chris, give me your rankings, or if, if the Giants were gonna pick somebody at number four of this offensive tackle, would it be Worfs, Thomas, Wills? Who would, who would you have the Giants picking up? I haven't seen your, your mock draft yet, so I'm just asking. I would have them pick Tristan Wirfs. If okay. I was Dave Gettleman, I think that would be the, the instant pick. Yeah, you can maybe listen to some, some potential trade downs, but if you're going to stay put, we know Dave Gettleman's never traded down in the draft, stay put, pick Tristan Wirfs. He is the best combination of athleticism mm -hmm. and power of any of these offensive tackles, and it's a very top-heavy and good offensive tackle class, which should be music to the ears of the Giants organization, Daniel Jones, and Giants fans. But I think Tristan Wirfs, he's my top-rated offensive lineman. The fact that he's played predominantly right tackle makes him a very seamless fit into what the Giants need. If sure. down the road they have to move on from Nate Solder, he can play left tackle. We saw that um, for a few games last year at Iowa. I love his wrestling background, too. Very good with angles and resetting his hands. Uh, he can just beat edge rushers in a variety of ways. 
do you have the Giants picking it at offensive lineman, or do you have them picking it at linebacker? No, I have them uh, going Tristan Wirfs. I think that just okay. makes the most sense. That's nice. the most uh, featured pick that I've had for them. I have two more mock drafts coming out before the draft, and it's hard for me to venture away from offensive tackle. Maybe it'll be Jedrick Wilch from Alabama, another plug-and-play right tackle. But I think when you're talking about building for Daniel Jones, helping out Saquon Barkley, I think a, a right tackle who can maybe eventually play left tackle mm-hmm. gives you more impact than even picking Isaiah Simmons at number four overall. Well, let's talk about Simmons because yeah. obviously he's a super mm-hmm. talented player. Um, I think most people probably have him graded higher than the offensive lineman. You can tell me whether or not that's the, that's the case for you. But to me, his value and how much he's going to help you win football games as an impact is going to very much be determined, Chris, by how a team decides to deploy and utilize him. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think you bringing up his positional value is very important because when I grade these players, it's not just I give them a grade and that's it. After I have a raw grade for them, I add in positional value for all spots. And I think offensive tackle is probably the third or fourth most important position on the field. Not to say that a versatile linebacker safety is not valuable, but like you were saying, when it comes to translating to scoring points or winning football games, I think what Tristan Wirfs could bring for the Giants organization, although it won't really show up on the stat sheet, he'll help out Saquon Barkley in the run game, certainly help out Daniel Jones. Um, I think that was the one area that Every Giants fan would see these flashes from Daniel Jones. Then there would be games where he was taking four and five sacks, fumbling. They just wish that they had better protection for him. So I think Simmons, in terms of a raw grade, I have graded higher than Tristan Wirfs. But I think when you talk about how valuable offensive tackle remains today, left or right tackle, that's why I have Wirfs actually ranked higher on my final big board. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, I, that was that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Chris. And John got me uh, first. It was just you know where where would the giant or what would you see him as a you know Isaiah Simmons playing uh, inside, outside, putting his edge, whatever. But I think it is important that whatever team drafts him, that they identify it quickly and just basically tell the guy this is what you're going to play, and not have him try to worry about playing multiple positions unless he has to. Um, the other question I have here is that it deals with a team that's in our division. Uh, the Washington Redskins. I'm intrigued by some of the news that's coming out lately about them possibly wanting to draft Tua. Um, of course, if that happens, that's going to pretty much put uh, – there's going to be a trickle-down effect that's going to happen here with the top four picks in the draft. What are you hearing, or what's your idea of, about the Redskins, and could they possibly pull this off? I think they could. I think they're considering it. Um, we're less than two weeks away from the draft now, so – um, big boards for teams should be just about set. Um, but I do believe that mostly why they're putting that out there about Tua Tungabailoa is to see if any team, presumably the Miami Dolphins that have 14 picks in this draft, would send them a crazy big haul so they could move back three spots to number five overall, get a ton of extra picks, um, and still get some impact players. But it wouldn't be unprecedented Ron Rivera and a lot of this new coaching staff there in D.C., no connections to Dwayne Haskins. And he showed some signs as yeah. he played down the stretch as a rookie, but he did not have any type of a rookie season that ownership would say, this guy is definitely the future. I think Daniel Jones was more impressive during his rookie season, and there's reason to be 
a little bit more optimistic going into year two for Daniel Jones than there is for Dwayne Haskins. So um, I, I don't think it will ultimately happen, um, but certainly with a new coaching staff, I think they're looking at all the quarterbacks, but really what they want is a huge haul to trade back. Gotcha. If they don't get that, they'll just take Chase Young at number two. What's your feel, Chris? Do you think the Lions are going to move down to three? Because talking, look, we're with you. We think an offensive tackle for the Giants will be a great fit from a team-building perspective. But, you know, maybe you trade down a few spots and you get Jedrick Wills at seven instead of getting Jedrick Wills at, or Jedrick Wills at six instead of Tristan Wirfs at four. Heck, maybe you just get Wirfs at six. Who knows? What's your feel here for the Dolphins and Chargers, how much they desire to actually move up? And how much are the Lions perhaps anxious to move back, which would make it difficult for the Giants to maybe find a trade partner to move a couple spots back in the draft? Yeah, I'll say this. If the Detroit Lions and the Miami Dolphins don't trade on draft night, I will be really surprised because there's the coaching connection with Matt Patricia and Brian Flores having spent a lot of years together in New England. The Lions want to trade down. Do they want to trade down to 18? No, but trading out of the top five, maybe still staying inside the top ten, I think that's what they ultimately want. Um, would they pick Chase Young if he was there? Absolutely, but I don't think they're anticipating that. Um, and they believe that they could probably still get Jeffrey Akuda at six, at five, at seven. The L.A. Chargers, too, want to trade up to get to Otunga Bailoa, maybe even Justin Herbert. The difference is, like I said, the Dolphins have 14 picks in this draft, two first-rounders, and two second-rounders next year. So they have all the ammunition in the world. And in that scenario, if we do get that trade, then yes, the Giants should say, okay, let's see if there's a team that wants Justin Herbert and wants to move ahead of the Chargers. Maybe that's the Oakland Raiders sitting there with two first-round picks. Maybe that's um, you know another surprise team that we normally see on draft night. Move back. I, I like Tristan Wirfs the most, but if the Giants came away with an extra second or third rounder and Jedrick Wills at number six or number seven overall, I would be perfectly fine with that because he, too, is a plug-and-play right tackle that would really help this team on offense. Um, Chris, thanks again for joining us. I, uh, here's the other question I have. I'm, I'm obviously trying to build the offensive line for the, off, for the uh, Giants this year. So <laughs> I need a little information on your top center prospect um, and tell me will the Giants have a chance to get him um, I know he will probably in the second round, but I don't you know who do you think that if the Giants were to get a center, who would they go after? Um, I like Matt Hennessy the most, and you do? he would okay. probably make yeah, and he would make sense I think for the Giants. He needs to get a little stronger, um, but his balance and his athleticism. If you need to run stretch, run plays, zone blocking scheme, play action, play action bootlegs, we know the Giants like to do that to use Daniel Jones athleticism and ability to throw on the run. Um, I think Matt Hennessy is the perfect guy. You pick in the second or the third round at center. Um, you may go through some growing pains early in his rookie season, but as he adds weight, as he gets in an NFL strength and conditioning program, I think that's when we could see in a few years he's one of the best centers in the league because he can just do things athletically that, to me, no other center in this class can do. Second or third round, won't have to spend – a super early pick on him coming out of Temple, but Matt Hennessy, I think, has the brightest future at the center spot. Here's a two-part question, Chris, and this is focusing on the Giants in the top of the second round. The first part is I think when you're sitting there at 36, your first goal is to say, oh, maybe someone that shouldn't be there is there, and that's who you take, right? Whether teams get scared of A.J. Epines' testing 
or maybe one of these cornerbacks fall, maybe a receiver falls, but teams keep saying, oh, we'll just get one later on. Who are some of the guys that you think that you have ranked from like, you know, 15 to 25 or 15 to 30 on your board that you think might spook some teams and be available to the Giants as someone that they could grab a great value at 36? Well, actually, you said one of the names right away. I think A.J. Epinesa, because of his combine not being as good as a lot of people expected, he's probably going to be there at 36. And it's important with him to look at his combine from the right perspective. If you're playing him strictly as an edge rusher and you look at his combine compared to other edge rushers, it was pretty bad. But if you look at his size, 6'5", 275, and you realize we're going to use him as a nickel defensive tackle to rush the passer from the inside, and you look at his combine as a defensive tackle, he actually had a pretty good combine. He has the size, the strength, and the pass rushing moves to win on the inside. And I, we know that Dave Gettleman likes to build in the trenches, especially on the defensive line. I think he's an instant three-down defensive lineman, and as long as you're not just sticking him solely at defensive end, I think A.J. Epinesa could be there and be a good pick for them. Another player, LaVisca Chenault, the wide receiver, ran 4-5-8 at the Combine, has dealt with some injuries. If he clears or is cleared medically by the Giants' doctors or by a lot of the independent doctors for the league, I think he's going to be there at number 36 and will be really good value for a team like the Giants that wants to prioritize yards after the catch. With Sterling Shepard, with Golden Tate, they like those receivers that can catch a drag route and take it 5, 10, 15 yards. That's what LaVisca Chenault gives you. He's not a crazy good route runner. You're not going to ask him to run intricate routes down the field, but being able to let Daniel Jones use his quick release and how quickly he processes coverage and where to go with the football, LaVisca Chenault second, maybe even third round for him because of the injury concerns, if he's healthy, he's one of the best yards after the catch receivers in this draft class. All right, second part of the question. Let's say one of those guys isn't sitting there, and the Giants are staring at a bunch of guys that they have you know, mid to late second round grades on when they're picking there at 36. Given round two begins after basically 20 hours after round one ends, and teams will have the opportunity to, you know, kind of settle in, figure out where they are, target guys in the second round. Do you think there could be a trade-down opportunity for the Giants at 36, where maybe a team really likes one of these second-tier wide receivers or a player at a different position in need where the Giants could maybe move down from 36 and pick up a, a mid-third rounder? Because right now they have no picks between 36 and 99, and both Jeff and I would love to fill that void with yeah. kind of a earlier mid-third round pick. We need that yeah. void. <laughs> Yeah, I think that if one of those players that we just talked about is sitting there at 36, then that should be the selection. But if not, um, it's a perfect trade-down scenario. And like you said, I think there will be wide receivers available that some teams might have as their eighth or ninth wide receiver, and some teams might have their third or their fourth wide receiver that will be clamoring to move up inside the top 40 to pick that wide receiver. And I think there's, for based on the Giants' needs, there's better value in the third round, second or third tier of the edge rusher class, mm-hmm. of the cornerback class, um, to kind of add on next to James Bradbury in that secondary. I think that would make a lot more sense. Maybe that's with that extra pick where you could ultimately get Matt Hennessy to play center um, for the foreseeable future. So I think unless there's someone that they absolutely have as a first-round grade sitting there at 36, they should really look 
into trading down where there is better value at some of the need positions that the Giants have later in the draft. All right, Matt, uh, Chris, last question for me. Obviously, we're getting really close, and the, the, what we're doing these days, everybody's at home, and to talk about this virtual draft, um, there is some nervousness uh, about this. Tell me a little bit about what you're hearing about this. How is this going to work? Um, do they have a contingency plan if all of a sudden something glitch goes off? And, you know, are they going to have a – I've heard that there's going to be a timeout maybe. And it's just give me a little bit of uh, what you've been hearing about the virtual draft this year. Yeah, I don't know if they have a set contingency plan yet, or they certainly have not announced it or leaked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do believe that if there is any technical problems, there will be a – league-wide conference call that will be running throughout the draft. And if, say, Dave Gettleman's internet drops out, there's a storm or something in the area, and he's trying to make his pick and it's not going in on the computer, he can say, hey, I'm calling the league office, I'm here, we want to pick so-and-so, we want to pick Tristan Wirfs, we don't Mm -hmm. want to have our time run out. I do not think, though, that a timeout is completely out of the question for them to announce Mm -hmm. that, but I think with the conference call that, that we know that, for the most part, phone calls are, are more secure and more reliable than Internet connections. Right. That's the only thing that I've heard, that just a 32-team conference call into the league office so they can literally talk and, and speak in um, any picks that they make in any round. Chris, nice. I want to go back to the way you answered my last question. You said you like maybe in that top, middle of the third round, those second and third tier corners and pass rushers. Who are some of the guys in those two groups that you do like? My favorite is Curtis Weaver from Boise State. He was super productive for three years at Boise State. He kind of fits the mold of what the Giants have brought in with Lorenzo Carter. He's kind of a stand-up outside linebacker, pass rushing specialist, had a good combine, um, Daryl Taylor from Tennessee is another one. He's bigger, 260, 270 pounds, was a big recruit coming into Tennessee. Dealt with some injuries last year, um, but you like at his size, his bendiness and his ability to dip around the corner, that he's not stiff, he doesn't get pushed past the quarterback very often, um, but because of the injury concerns and he wasn't able to test at the combine, he could be there in the third round. And then one cornerback that I think – Maybe after bringing in James Bradbury, Dave Gettleman will kind of go in a different direction. But if we look at his time in Carolina, he likes the big, long zone cornerbacks. Josh Norman and James Bradbury, you know, most namely among them. Michael Ojemudia from Iowa. He was six foot one, over 200 pounds, passes that 32-inch arm threshold. And like a lot of these Iowa secondary members, so instinctive, so well coached under Kirk Ferentz very instinctive um, in zone coverage, will make plays on the football. And he didn't look like a great athlete on film, but he had one of the better combines, ran under 4-5, all the agility drills, the broad jump, the vertical, tested very well. Not getting a lot of buzz. I don't think he'll go in the second round. The Giants move back. Any one of those three players were there, I think, wouldn't be flashy on draft night, but come the start of this season and into 2021, I think we'll be looking at those picks. Um, as really good value selections on the second day of the draft. Chris, great stuff, my friend. We really yeah, appreciate really the time. Uh, if you don't mind, we're going to make you one of our regulars uh, come around the draft next year. Really good stuff, man. All right, guys. Sounds good. Thanks. I Thank appreciate you, Chris. it, Chris. Thank you very much. By the way, you can find Chris at uh, CBSSports.com. He is their draft guru, and you can find him on Twitter at Chris Trapasso.
And that's uh, 1P2Ss. Everything else is exactly how it sounds. Chris Trapasso, you can find him on Twitter. And again, CBSSports.com. We thank you for joining us on this week's episode of, or today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. All right, Jeff, take away from some of the stuff Chris gave us before we get to Super Bowl 42. Um, you know what? Just answer some of the questions I want. I, I agree with him with uh, worse. I actually like Becton. I want him, but I will take worse. Uh, he is very athletic. Um, I, good question on as far as Simmons. I, I think it needs to be identified of what position he's going to play. Um, I think the Giants, if they're going to take him, they certainly have have an idea where they want to work him in. Um, just a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, he's got a lot of – that's one thing about all these draft guys. They're, they have their little sleepers, right? You know, these guys that you think about, that you, you just kind of read about them a little bit, but you don't know much about them. And all of a sudden, one of these draft guru guys comes out and starts talking about them. You're like, whoa, okay, well, this, wow, okay, this makes sense. But I like what he talked about is maybe some, you know, value there of getting some good picks, not sexy picks, but guys that are going to help you on game day. All right, we got about 10 minutes left to go in the show here, Jeff. So I want to talk talk about the uh, replay of Super Bowl 42. Man, I thought awesome. our video team and our social media team, if you followed us at Giants during the game, they did a real nice job uh, posting some of our co- companion content. So fans kind of got a feel for some behind-the-scenes stuff and stuff that wasn't mentioned on the broadcast that only we had that we put in there. Uh, I thought it was some really cool stuff. I thought they did a really nice job. I don't think it was the first time, but it was the first time in a long time that I actually watched the TV broadcast of that game mm-hmm. front to end. Is that the first time you watched it yeah, front to end? It was. It really was. And it's funny because, you know, I, I didn't I, I didn't really – I've never asked this question to other people until yesterday starting to read Twitter and everybody commenting on it was their first time. I mean, Sean O'Hara had mentioned that that was the first time he had saw the broadcast copy of it. Yep. I was texting Strahan. Strahan the first time that he was he has seen the game afterwards um and you know paul Detino was always so amazed that i've never seen the game after that game and i I just have never i don't know it's not that i wanted to put it on it's just i never had the time to do it and then as time went away it just kind of gets filed in your basement right um but it was it was amazing i absolutely loved watching that game yesterday john and uh you know just chills and and goosebumps throughout the whole the whole thing it was amazing it was so much fun Anything that you watch, and I'll give you mine then, All right. that you watch during the game, you're like, oh, man, I didn't remember that. Boy, that was a really big deal, and I don't even yeah. recall that part of the game. 100%. There's a couple things in there. Now, listen, if you watch the first half, it was very Monday, right? The first half was really nothing there that was exciting other than the Honestly, fact that we— Jeff, the first two and a half, almost three quarters. <laughs> Let's be honest. But I, I think the takeaway from the first quarter, at least, was how we held. We made first downs. I mean, Eli hit three— three third down conversions in a row. Um, We took a lot of time off the clock, which is, by the way, that was our game plan, going in there and just run the ball and take time off the clock and keep that Patriot offense off the field. They did that. That was impressive to me just for the first half. The second half, okay, I will tell you this. I I did not realize, or at the time, how dominant that that defensive line for the Giants was throughout the whole game. Those dudes were balling. I mean, Tuck, O.C., uh, you look at Jay Alford, I mean, Freddie Robbins. These guys were ridiculously relentless putting hits on Tom Brady, which totally took him out of the game. You know, now, yeah, go ahead. Okay, and then the other other big takeaway for me, a play that is so underrated in this game that nobody talks about, maybe some do. What, the Corey Webster play? No, that was a big play too. But no, here the knockdown at the end of the game you're talking about. Yes, yes, that was a big play too. Here's the one that I feel like 
in the sequence of the final drive that a lot of people don't talk about that fourth and one play, okay? How Brandon Jacobs, you knew he was getting the ball, and so did the Patriots, and how he barely made that play. I mean, he barely made that thing, but that was a fourth down conversion. Here's the other one. The Steve Smith catch on third down after the great catch by Tyree. That play, to me, was just as important as the Tyree catch. I mean, the way he got his feet around the pylon, like the, the first down marker, I was like, oh, yeah. my God, that was a huge play in that game. And they got a great mismatch, too. They had Brandon Merriweather on him. That's and, right. And they ran that little natural rub route. Yep. And Merriweather did not have a chance on that play. He did not. And I tell you, and just what great footwork. Here's the other thing, and then I'll let you, I'll let you comment, yeah, John. Yeah, please. If you realize, all these guys making plays, they were rookies. Rookies. I mean, they were everywhere. Even to the last part of the game, Diossi made a tackle on a kickoff team. I mean, these are just, there was 10 rookies on this team. These guys, they played and they made impacts in a game that was one for the, one for the ages. And I just absolutely loved it. In fact, after the game, I texted Strahan and I texted Eli and I thanked them both. I thanked them both because they both played so well. And I just told them how excited I was about being their teammates and how excited I was to be on that team. And thank you so much after you know, John, as many years that I played, was able to get that Super Bowl. And man, it was fun. So we had a nice little little back and forth with those guys yesterday. Yeah, I don't think yeah, I don't think people care as much as what I have to say. So I'll I'll kind of give my opinion <laughs> and, and, and I want to get your take on, on on what I say here. And look, Eli had that great first drive, he had the great last drive. There was not a ton of great in between. And that's fine. To me, and I thought this at the time, and rewatching the game, I thought it again. They needed to figure out a way to give one of the defensive players in that game the MVP mm-hmm. because that defense was yeah. so, so good. And I know it wasn't just one guy that made, you know, the pick six or the fumble recovery for a touchdown or whatever. Sure. But that win was about the defense. Wow. The way <laughs> they limited, which was literally and still might be the greatest offense in NFL history, was just unbelievable. Well, resiliency. That's that's what it was. Those guys, they had a mission. I'm telling you, those guys were on a mission from the from the day we stepped foot in uh, Tampa Bay. I mean, it's it was that those guys were there to win the game every single day. And by the but, way, for the folks out there, the Giants played in Tampa for the first playoff game mm-hmm. that year. Yeah, that, just going yeah, through the whole the whole playoff system, we were ready. But I tell you, those guys came to play that day, and that was that was a huge. It was huge. You're right, John. I feel like somehow somebody could have got on the defensive side, but you know how that goes. It doesn't work. I do. I do. Okay, number two. I feel like we saw Bill Belichick <laughs> change his offense into the modern Bill Belichick offense on the run in that game. It's like he got to the middle of the th- end of the third quarter and said, you know what? I'm not going to try to keep throwing down the field outside in this game. Yeah, I can't kidding. do it. My quarterback's going to hit. And on that final drive, I think it was a combination of – them changing the way they were operating, where they just were trying to hit, you know, three-step stuff. Yeah. Welker inside, Kevin Falk inside, even Randy Moss on those little slants and in-cuts, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's like the Patriots said, you know what? To hell with this. We, <laughs> no, seriously, we cannot, no, okay. we, we can't block these guys up front. And by the way, I also think the Giants' pass rush was a little gassed in that fourth quarter a little bit because they'd been playing so well the whole game. Sure. So I think you got to that final drive, maybe not as quite as much juice as they had before, and you almost saw Belichick like, 
figure out, all right, this is how I'm going to run my offense now for the next 13 years. <laughs> you know, no, but didn't you sense that just the way they approached the whole thing changed on that final drive? I think you hit the nail on the head when they when they had to get rid of the football. I mean, Brady couldn't take those seven and nine step drops anymore and sit back and wait for things to get open because the pressure was there. And so they were like, well, listen, we're going to have to start dumping the ball off and dink and doink and down the field. And, you know, listen, I think that eventually they went out and with all the other help that they've had at that, that those little slop receivers, yeah. it proved right. I'll tell you one thing, though, that defensive line, they were gassed because they played their butts off. <laughs> I'm telling you, they played their butts yeah, off. Justin Tuck, O.C. Strahan, Barry Cofield, Freddie oh Robbins, Jay Alford, the whole group, man, they were on. By the way, and the linebackers did pretty damn good, too. Oh, Kavika, Kavika Mitchell, Mitchell is a guy that you don't hear about much. Reggie you know? Torbor made a couple plays in that mm -hmm. game mm -hmm. yep and i'll tell you what you talk about luck i mean the giants were pretty lucky this game uh, obviously the tyree <laughs> catch uh, but some of those fumbles the recovery by bradshaw you know okay? jeff i wonder if on that bradshaw recovery if it was the modern day they would have reviewed that i to think see it if been the a, patriot over, player had no control with you know being touched down yeah i mean the one eli fumbled he was down his knees were down, so yes. that one wouldn't have counted. But the, the Bradshaw one was very, very interesting. And I'll tell you, Toomer made a heck of a catch on that one play down the field, uh, keeping his feet in bounds. Um, Eli just oh, threw yeah. it up for grabs. And, you know, and, and also, you know, Eli, or excuse me, Toomer made another great one of those catches in the Green Bay game, keeping his feet in. So yeah. um, just a lot of fun. A lot. I, I thought it was a great idea to air that. I think there was so much, uh, so much to talk about. A lot of the old, the old guys watching it. Um, Dave Tolfeson was chiming in on Twitter watching. Of course, Tynezo is too. Um, just a lot of fun watching that yesterday. I was kind of torn because I was back and forth switching channels, driving my family crazy because the Masters was on yesterday, <laughs> and it was on at the same time as the Super Bowl was, and the back nine was right when the Giants game came on. So it was like killing me. Um, um, but it was just a lot of you know a lot of fun to watch yesterday. A lot of good stuff on TV yesterday. I have a couple more nuggets for you, Jeff. We got about yeah. five minutes here, um, and it go and use the word luck, and I was going to use the word break because okay. And this is Either not way. and by the yeah, same thing. This is not just the Giants and that Super Bowl, right? I go back and I watch some of those Yankees titles from the late '90s, right? And any team that wins a championship at the time. I don't think you realize how many plays along the way. Sure. If the ball just bounces a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, the Patriots got two hands on three Eli Manning passes on that game-winning touchdown drive. Three. Mm -hmm. Three. Once Burris kind of tipped it away, Asante yeah. Samuel couldn't catch the one high, and then I forget what the third one was. Somebody else couldn't quite come up with the pick. And just these little things have to go right that – to your point, is as much luck as skill in a lot of ways, or maybe somebody puts just an extra 1% of effort forth to make the play. And it's just amazing how so many little things have to go right to win a title. And I think people take that for granted. It's why the best team and the most talented team doesn't always win, because there are so many random moments in these sporting events that mm -hmm. are just left to fate. And a lot of times it's like a flip of a coin. Let's see what happens. And that's who's going to win this game. And going through that game, there are just so many little moments. You mentioned a few of them where you're like, wow, this whole game could have changed if this just went a little bit differently. 
Sure. And, you know, and it works both ways, right? I mean, the, the Patriots had some luck, too. Um, um, but I sure. think the, the best the, the best team on the field that day won the game. Yeah. And we were a better team than the 18-0 and Patriots that day. Right. We really were. Yeah, and the point is not that the Giants would have beat them eight or nine out of ten times. The point is that on that day, that, day, that Giants team was better than that Patriots team. Did you ever think about why— and I, I don't understand why that Belichick didn't kick that 48-yard field goal. <laughs> Jeff, you, you got that. There's two of them. That one. And then he went for it on 4th and 13. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, by, okay. by the way, that was the same play. It was 4th and 13. Mm-hmm. They go for it there instead of kicking the 48, 49-yard field goal. Then they had it 4th and 3 mm-hmm. at midfield. <laughs> and they didn't go for it, yeah. which I thought was very, very odd. And this was going to be my last point, too, and I'm happy you brought it up. And I'm sorry for interrupting because you got me all that's excited. Okay. Yeah. But I thought Tom Coughlin outcoached Bill Belichick. Well, that's fine. That's, I did, too, <laughs> which is good. I'll tell you the other one that a lot of people don't understand what happened on this play. Do you remember the play where Chase Blackburn oh. was called for 12 men on the field? Oh, now, let me give you the scenario here. Name names for me, Jeff. I want you to name names. I, I don't know who it was. I really <laughs> don't. But somebody was on the field that wasn't supposed to be on the field, and Chase took himself off knowing because he's smart as heck. Well, it's Chase's job because he's the captain to count, right? No question. He's the guy that counts everybody on the field. And, you know, Chase Blackburn is so smart. That's why he lasted in the league as long as he did because he's just a great, smart player. He's always in the right position to make plays. You know, not always the greatest athlete, but he's always there to make the play because he knows the system. He knew the system there, started counting and said, oh, my God, I'm 12 guy. You know, I got to get off. And, you know, so luckily nothing came out of that because the, the Patriots couldn't do anything with that extended drive that they got. You know, they were they were they were given the penalty and they obviously reversed it and not they didn't they didn't reverse it. They were. They made they made the call and the and the Giants had to come back on because they had the offense on the field. So, um, but that's that's one of the little kind of secrets that go into the game that people don't know why everybody's probably yelling at Chase Blackburn like why did he get <laughs> off the field? What a dummy! Well, no, it wasn't his fault. So. The last one I'll mention too. Burris had nothing in that game. You I mean, he had him. one catch up until like you know, well, exactly. the dude, Jeff, he couldn't run. I mean, yeah. you could see. Oh, no, he had a bomb and, yeah. and, and look, yeah. he was a long strider, so he never looked like he was running fast anyway. Sure. He just was fast. Randy Moss was kind of the same way. Yeah. But he could not cut. He was not getting open. Yeah. He couldn't really go up and compete for balls as well as he normally would. Exactly. And he had nothing in that game, but he did that one little, you know, well, he had the one right move at the, at the end. end. Yep. And that did it. Yeah, and they knew they knew that that play was going to work if they ever got into it. And man, I bet Eli could tell the story when he got up to the line of scrimmage and saw the coverage that was out there, and he, he was does. just probably smiling before even O'Hara could yeah, snap the ball. They 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 brought a lot of pressure. They had him one on one. And that, another thing that struck me, by the way, uh, for both teams, I thought the coverage by both teams was excellent. They're just oh my God. weren't yeah. and, until that last Patriots drive when they got some open receivers. Mm-hmm. There were not open receivers for either quarterback. Eli, yeah. the ones he did complete. Had those small window throws to Omani Toomer and Steve Smith. Yeah, there was there was both the big, teams played the, really good. Coverage. The biggest play as far as downfield catching and throwing was the boss. That was the biggest probably pass yeah. play there was. And you know, talk about another rookie making a play, right? I mean, it's just ridiculous how many of these young guys were on that team. Um, and I'll never forget it either. i will never forget talking to those guys in a special teams meeting, letting them know how, how important it is that these guys win. You got you are so lucky to be playing in this game in your first year. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously. And yeah. I told them, take me 20 years to get here. And you're in your first year now. Let's go win this thing for me. Forget about you. Yeah, and, <laughs> and no one ever talks about that last Patriots drive either, Jeff. On the oh, Jay, my on, goodness. On, on the Jay Alford hit, first, well, first of all, uh, on the first play, he tries to throw deep 
yep. to the slot on the right. If he throws it to Jabbar Gaffney outside, he's got a couple steps there. That mm-hmm. could have been a deep completion. Then on the Alfred hit, they didn't show a good angle. They showed the behind-the-quarterback view. I thought there was a guy with some separation on that side of the field, that if mm. Alfred doesn't make that hit, that could be a deep completion. Then you have the unbelievable Corey Webster play running with Randy Moss. Yeah deep down the left sideline over his outside shoulder, where if he doesn't tip that ball, that's a catch. They have it inside the 30-yard line, game-tying field goal, bing, bang, boom. Mm -hmm. So it's just so many little things, man. What was the final question I'll ask you, and and then we'll say goodbye. Watching that, even not even watching Eli do his thing, but I'm sure that was stressful too. But once the Patriots got the ball back with their 40 seconds and their three timeouts, (laughs) what were you thinking watching that go on? I was thinking Randy Moss, Randy Moss, Randy Moss, Randy Moss. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I was thinking. But my point, I, I, and I was scared. I was scared because, they, because listen, it's Randy Moss, it's Tom Brady, it's the Patriots, right? It's, it, they, they're 18-0. They're not 18 and 0, and we talked about it. They weren't 18 and 0 by being perfect every game. They got lucky on some games, and once are they gonna get lucky again? Are we gonna make a mistake here? Is somebody gonna break coverage? Is somebody gonna get a uh, you know a pass interference play something? So nobody, no one could sit still on that sideline for those last 40 seconds of that game. We couldn't celebrate after the touchdown because we knew what we were up against. And we were up against a team that could do anything. And once I saw them throw that ball, and Webster hit it down, and the downs just kept trickling down. They got one shot, man, and that's it. And I'll tell you what, after that, then it was good. Uh, the funny thing about it is that, you know, after the after the touchdown catch, we all kind of knew we were going to win the game, and everybody was jumping up and down. I had to go in and hold that extra point, you know, so I had to calm my – I need to calm down a little bit. Um, and then coming off the, off the field, this finally hits you that, like, dude, <laughs> hold on. Pump the brakes here. Okay, we got to kick the ball off. Something could happen there, right? And then second of all, we're going to give the ball back to Tom Brady and these guys, and you never know what's going to happen. And so it was a little bit nerve-wracking, I'm sure, uh, for everyone. I know it was for me. Well, Jeff, it was fun, though, too. And it was we, fun. And today's show was fun as well. We're, yeah, thank you, John. We're only about 10 days or 11 days now away from the draft, Jeff. We're almost there, and we're yep. going to have a lot of fun covering it for the few guys out there. So make sure you stay tuned to Big Blue Kickoff Live and the Giants. Huddle all other Giants.com content as you get ready for the draft. Jeff, we'll talk to you later on in the week. You too, John. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.